Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today I'm stoked to have LA-based drummer Neil Daniels on the show. Neil has done an array of gigs, including performances with Liz Fair, LP, Booker C, Rachel Platten, Post Malone, Dua Lipa. Plus, he recently got himself the Matchbox 20 gig, and they are about to embark on an Australian tour, so I figured it'd be cool to put this out the week before that starts. I'm not going to ramble on too much, but as usual, if you're enjoying these, please do me a favor, leave us a rating or review or a share. It all helps us tremendously as we continue to grow. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Neil Daniels. Okay, Neil Daniels, thank you so much for joining me on the Musician's Mentor Podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to our chat, mainly because you play with some of my favorite artists. And, uh, you know, it's a bit weird. I always ask my guests to do this. Um, It's just the format of the show, really. But I ask, could you potentially give us an introduction on yourself rather than me doing it for you? I'll do one in post. I know a lot about you from doing my research, but I try and get the listeners to understand where you're coming from on this interview. Well, you know, drummers love talking about themselves. So this is this is a dream. Um, Well, my name is Neil Daniels. I. um, Uh. My short introduction, I was born in New York, raised in Chicago, and uh, I moved out to L.A. in 2009 to uh, study at the L.A. Music Academy, and that was that started my whole journey here. So I've been out here playing um, and living since 2009, and um, now I play with uh, Matchbox 20, Liz Fair, uh, LP, and, and quite a few more. But um, I live here in Los Angeles, and I have a studio here in my house where I am now, and that's that's the the short intro. Perfect, man. So yeah, I mean, I read that you were born in New York, raised in Chicago, landed up in LA. You just mentioned that you studied in LA. I know we're gonna probably leave out like a few uh, bullet points along the way, but tell tell me a little bit about a couple things. Firstly. What were those moves, especially the move from New York to Chicago originally for? Was that family-based or was that already trying to pursue music stuff? And then once you get to LA, um, and again, probably leaving out a a chunk of your life here, but where or what was the first point that you can remember where you thought that you might be able to do this music thing as a career? Uh. Well, part A, I moved to Chicago when I was like five. Um, so okay. I, 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 it wasn't anything uh, music related at that time, uh, being only five. But I, um, um, when I moved to L.A., um, all my friends at that time went to school in Chicago after high school. They went to Columbia or DePaul, and I wanted to go to music school as well. But uh, I I didn't have really a connection in Chicago anymore. Um, my dad passed away when I was in early high school. He was a drummer, uh, and I was I needed to get out. I went to a summer program at, at LA Music Academy, and it was just, I just felt uh, it it was just it was calling my name. I also 
there was something cool about being the first one of all my friends to move out to LA. It just felt different and cool. But, you know, Chicago was definitely, it was a safe bet because all my friends were there and I had family there. And, um, but I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I just wanted to move out and, and give that a go. And I think there wasn't really a point of like me knowing that I could do this for a living. It was like, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, I, I never had a backup plan or I never felt like I, I had the option to do anything else. So it was always just, that's what I'm doing from day one. Even like in early high school, I was just always a drummer. Um, so, um, you know, there are instances along the way where I, where like cool things happened, where it gave me more of a, you know, I started making some money and, you know, those situations are cool because you can kind of see yourself being a full-time player, but it was just the whole, the whole move in general was just like, I'm going to move to LA. I'm doing this. And, um, I don't know if there was a, a specific moment of me realizing that this was my, my living, you know? Yeah. Were you playing in bands and stuff already? Once you got out there, did you try start bands? Did you just join bands or were you, did you kind of have your eye on the, I'm going to be like a working sort of hired gun sideman kind of guy? Where? In, in LA? In LA, once you, once you, especially once you kind of finish studying. Although I'm sure you started this journey while you were studying because that's, I'm imagining you networking and stuff with other musicians at your institution. Yeah, I mean, when I was at school, I was, I was of course practicing a lot. I was definitely one of those six or eight hours a day drummers, you know, practicing. But a lot of my drummer friends there um, were still living in Pasadena throughout all the school. And it was only a two year program, but I was already living in Altadena and then I moved to North Hollywood and I was always gigging and going out. Um, I didn't have a car or a drum set. so I would, uh, you know, I, I would rent a car. I mean, true story. I would get, uh, I would go on Craigslist and find gigs for free. I would borrow a, dr- a friend's drum set and I would rent a car for the free gig. So by the time I, by the time I would drop the car off and play the gig, I would, I would be, you know, owing money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did that forever. And through doing that, I, I landed a, a, my first big gig with a. Um, a singer named Darren Chris who went on to be on the show Glee and that, but that all came from playing a free gig on Craigslist. Um, but while I was doing that, uh, a lot of friends of mine were just, you know, not doing that. They weren't going out. They were just doing, you know, being in school. I was trying to think ahead, like, you know, we are graduating soon and I don't want to live in Pasadena forever. And I feel like by the time I graduated, I had, you know, a pretty good, a, a good crew around me that, weren't affiliated with the music school and I never wanted to be in a band really ever. I never wanted to start my own band or, you know, too much responsibility. I just wanted to have, I just wanted to be a side guy. Um, so, you know, right after school, I started touring, uh, in vans. I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old sleeping in the van on the floor of the van. I mean, I didn't tour in a bus until maybe, 2016. Yeah. Um, so it was like a solid six or seven years of like really touring in awful situations, um, which was great. 
I wouldn't yeah. change it uh, because you know, when you finally get in like a nice situation and you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, at the front of the plane and you're on buses and, you know, you, you definitely don't take it for granted uh, yeah. coming from sleeping on the floors of vans. Yeah. And, and definitely learn some people skills sleeping on the floors in vans, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely uh, at least learn about yourself and how much, uh, how much punishing you can take <laughs> on your, on your body. I mean, it was, it was all great. I'm, but yeah, to fully answer your question, I was just, uh, I was just doing whatever I could. And I really wasn't worried about uh, money or anything. I had no money. I should have been worried, but I think because I wasn't so money driven at that time, I met a lot of people Yeah, uh, that I'm still friends with. And now we're all, you know, working on bigger things today. That's cool. Um, so I think, yeah, just saying, saying yes to everything was a big, big part of the journey. For yeah. Sure. That's amazing, man. Um, let's jump forward. Matchbox 20. The last time I spoke to the dudes in Matchbox 20, um, Stacy was playing for them because Paul had just moved to the front. Um, so tell me how the Matchbox 20 situation came about for you. And, uh, you know, to sort of segue from that question, do you find it intimidating at all holding down a drum position in a band like that when you've got Paul, who's a pretty great drummer, still within the band? Or if you take that out of the equation, which, you know, I don't think is necessary, but if you do, do you find it intimidating knowing that, you know, session guys like Stacy have also held that role? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Stacy's one of my best friends and one of my favorite drummers ever. Um, yeah, it's it's intimidating to to you know, being kind of like a, a Foo Fighter Dave Grohl situation where the drummer is yeah. already in the band, but you, know, you just, you know, if you're just, if you're really prepared and just play the parts as they're supposed to be played, I, I, you know, your nerves kind of go away because you're, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. It's the same as any other gig. Um, it, it's a very new venture for me. Uh, you know, we're leaving for our first, my first tour with them will be in February in Australia and New Zealand. Cool. Um, it's just a classic case of, you know, like w- when they say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I mean, that's very true. Just, yeah, just being there and, and, you know, being a person that people want to hang out with and getting lucky and getting a shot to, to play. I mean, it's all, there's so many things that come into, you know, making that happen. Yeah. Just the right place at the right time. Okay. So Again, it kind of relates to what we were just talking about, but your credits are quite impressive. I saw that, you know, obviously you mentioned like LP and stuff like that. Post Malone, Dua Lipa, we just mentioned Matchbox 20. When you find yourself in these situations, uh, I want to sort of more delve into if you've ever had auditions for these kinds of situations versus just maybe being referred um, now again, I'm spitballing cause I'm not sure if that has happened for you. And I know that like the, the cattle call thing isn't a popular discussion. You know, a lot of guys actually don't get gigs like that. It's more a bro hookup kind of thing. But if you've had auditions, um, especially with some of these really established acts, what do you do to keep calm and collected in those situations? Is it again, a make sure you know the parts go in the prepared situation 
Or do you have like any kind of like, at this point, especially with some of the credits you've had, do you ever go into any of these situations thinking, well, you know, I mean, I've done this, this, and this, so of course it's going to be cool. Or do you still go in there with those credits thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I wonder how this is going to go, is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, Well, no matter what, I mean, credits do help your cause when you're auditioning. Uh, if if you're auditioning for something that's in the wheelhouse of the stuff you've already done, that could of course help. You know, um, if you're auditioning for a metal band, but you've only played with people like you know, like a Rachel Platten, like I played with her, Dua Lipa, you might not get the metal gig. But if you've played with, for instance, Mashuga, and you're auditioning for some, you know, it's like you're already in the wheelhouse. So credits do help. Um, but um, I've done a lot of auditioning. And, uh, of course, being prepared is, is, um, 90% of the battle, but, um, I'd say, I'll say that back 50% of the battle being prepared. You're expected to be prepared. Everyone that goes into the audition is going to crush it. Um, so the other half is being prepared with, with everything else, like what they look like, um, how you dress, um, are you going in there looking like you have the part already? Um, which is, I think something that more people should think about. Um, and, uh, yeah, auditioning is, is nerve wracking, but if you're really prepared and you look like you're supposed to be there, all your nerves should go away because you feel like you're, you're supposed to, you know, that you're meant to be there. Um, so I always, a lot of people in, in, in our world and a lot of friends of mine hate auditioning, but I, I, I love it. I love, I love going in there and dealing with the nerves and, and it's just, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun for me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's that's something awesome. wrong with me. No, I think that's cool. Maybe, maybe a bit of a, a thrill, you know, like keep you on your toes kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone that's nervous about auditioning, the more prepared you are, and the more you know about the artist and the more you look like you're supposed to be there, I, I bet you anything your nervous will, will go away. Yeah. An ignorant question, perhaps, and, and not actually part of my, my research, but this look like you're supposed to be there thing. That's quite, quite a good way to look at it. Were you kind of image conscious about bands you were playing with from the start? Or is that something that developed once you got involved with these slightly bigger i'm gonna say pop acts just because you know it's all about a package yeah uh i definitely was not thinking about that early on i was a you know i i learned it took me a long time to learn a lot of this stuff uh, but just from doing it a lot and failing um uh i just think you know if you're playing with someone like lp for instance who's has amazing style and wears St. Laurent exclusively and, you know, looks like a million bucks when you go out to lunch. Um, you're not going to go in there wearing sweatpants and Converse, you know? Um, but a lot of people did at that audition, you know, and it just blows my mind. So of course I went in, I wore my nicest pair of pointy black boots. And the first thing that she said to me when I walked in was, Hey, nice boots. Nice. You know, it's just little things like that that maybe um, will – again, everyone's going to play great. So 
if everyone's in a play grade, then what's going to separate you from everyone else? It's, you know, yeah. little things like that. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely didn't think about that for a long time, but you know, I, I have, again, I have no choice to make this happen for myself. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely very conscious of all that stuff now Yeah. and just, uh, yeah, it's just good to, good to pay attention to those things. I just want to sort of back up a little bit as well. You you said the no choice thing twice, and you mentioned that your dad was a drummer. So what sort of age were you when you started messing around with music? And was it drums straight away, or did you dabble with anything else? No, well, he, my dad was was a, not a drummer for a living. He was There was always drums in the house, and he played since he was a kid, but he was in the clothing business towards the end of his life. Um. Um, but no, I, I was, I was a metal kid. So I was like playing metal guitar and singing in a metal band in the eighth grade and, you know, early high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't come from a, a a money, a money family situation. So it's just like, but this is, this is my life and, you know, there's just no one to fall back on, you know, besides me. So. Uh, I will, uh, I just, you know, I do everything I can to make sure that I put myself in situations and have the best chance of making it happen. Yeah. You know, so I'm just, you know, really, um, just really careful and I pay a lot of attention to details about, about things and how people look and what people say and just always paying attention to things to give myself the best chance of you know, coming out ahead. That's great. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about your your studio, Whitefish Studios. Um, I saw that that's been going since 2020. Um, talk me through the motivation behind setting the studio up. How's it going? And, you know, can you talk me through your thoughts on versatility in general, especially within the music industry? Do you feel like the industry is still at a place where somebody can potentially just focus on one thing and make money in that thing. I mean, it's, it's different for everybody. Uh, you know, I, I started my studio because of COVID and I never owned a microphone um, before COVID. I, I avoided it at all costs. Um, just liked recording somewhere else, but I, I never wanted to be the guy that had mics and, you know, all that stuff going on. Now uh, I have full on, you know, remote studio here in my house. Um, and I record all the time. Um, but I don't, uh, advertise it as much as I could not even close, uh, because, uh, I'm a, I'm a touring guy. That's what I want to do. Um, and I find that a lot of people, um, a lot of people spread themselves very thin. Maybe that's the wrong term but they do a lot of things producing recording touring teaching which a lot of people will say you have to kind of have all these things to make it happen and that that may be true but for me um i when when people when i when people think of me i want it to be touring guy Mm. um and um sometimes i feel like uh you know I'm, i'm just careful about throwing a lot of things out there that i do um, because I just want to be thought of right away for touring situations. Yeah. Um, so I do have the studio and it's been a great, uh, 
you know, learning curve for me to, you know, finally learn how to use um, Pro Tools. And it's helped my playing a lot um, to always have a full on in your mic or in your setup here and mics set up all the time. And, you know, it just gave me another skill set. So do I think it's necessary that you do everything? No, but I do think it is. um, It's uh, it's a skill everyone should have. Mm. um, For sure. Not sure if that answered your question. Yeah, no, it's it's quite cool. It, I like the fact that by focusing on trying to be the touring guy, I hate to use the word brand, but it's almost like you you create a brand. Turning into when people think of that, that's that's a great way to look at it. You know, you mentioned touring there. I was going to get into a little bit uh, later, but let's let's just jump into it now. Couple things. One, do you have any? touring horror stories that you could share just for a laugh and two on the other side of that um i always ask people what a few of your stay sane on the road tips may be and what i mean by that i don't mean it in a condescending oh you know make sure you do this and make sure you get enough sleep all that kind of stuff just i know a lot of guys who tour and i myself have done many tours and there's always a point at least it seems for some people that okay, I need a few days off or I don't want to be in this van with these guys anymore or whatever the case may be. So what do you do personally to relax your mind a little so that you can be the best Neil Daniels you can be? Um, I mean, touring is very hard. You're surrounded by people um, all day and there's people in your space all day um, and people have family and kids and, you know, animals and things that you miss at home. So it's very difficult. Um, for me, the number one thing, um, well, two things, uh, going to the gym is my, my, uh, keeps me sane. I always find a gym every day. Even if I have to buy a day pass, um, on an off day, I always go to the gym. That's huge for me. Um, and two, uh, I'm just a big coffee and food guy. Um, so I love, I love going to fine dining restaurants alone and sitting at the bar and ordering a nice meal for myself. I mean, that gives me like, you know, something to look forward to. And I like posting about it and just, you know, that's my, that's like my tour life. Yeah. Um, but just keeping really healthy, um, and going for walks and just, just, you know, taking time for yourself is really important. So it's tough. A lot of people can't do it it's a it's a weird life you know and also what people don't realize is that the the stage time is only an hour an hour and a half so you have 23 hours a day to you know keep yourself sane and that's a long it's a lot of hours over a four-month summer tour oh yeah completely um so um so that's that part that the horror stories i don't know i think about this all the time i don't i don't maybe i have a bad memory not many horror stories i don't really put myself in many horror stories or horror, you know, horror story situations. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've been in, in countries with L with LP where, you know, we've had, you know, be evacuated. Like we were in uh, uh, Quito, Ecuador when there was uh, some stuff going down and some riots going on and we had to be evacuated. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we've, 
not, not many horror things, lot, lots of stories in general, but nothing, nothing too crazy. I guess I've been, I've been lucky. Um, but it's all, it's all pretty normal tour stuff. It makes for a cool story if you ever want to write a book one day. Yeah, yeah, I do have a little <laughs> notes section on my phone where I, I keep, you know. That's amazing. Some stories, yeah. Um, just jumping back to the studio, um, Neil. When you're tracking at your studio, because it's a home studio, I'm assuming you're engineering yourself, right? Yep. Okay, so... What has been the hardest part for you in that regard? I know you said you, you didn't have any microphones and stuff like that, but did you know about audio? Was that something they taught you back when you were studying music? Or did you figure this out kind of yourself during the COVID uh, lockdown? Not kind of myself, all by myself, for sure. I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about anything. And I was pretty ignorant to recording. Me, All my friends got into it and I just didn't, don't, I didn't care. I just yeah. I didn't want to be a part of it. Um, so no, I, I went all in, I bought everything at once. Um, you know, a couple of XAPs at the same time and a bunch of mics and speakers and, you know, a Kemper, I don't need a Kemper, yeah. bought a Kemper, um, you know, two, uh, you know, two monitors, you know, keyboards and all the mics and ca- mic stands and cables yeah. and, and everything. I mean, it was just, it was a, a big, um, you know, it was a big purchase, yeah. um, but uh, that's I just needed to do all that at once to get myself in it. It's like how my brain works. It's probably not a good, good thing. Um, but I, I just bought everything at once and taught myself everything. I mean, it was over COVID, so I wasn't doing anything anyway. Um, yeah, and I and I have a million friends that record for a living, you know, yeah. or at least a lot more than I do or did. And, you know, I, I owe a lot of that to my friends just asking him a million questions and, yeah. you know, dialing in some like pro tools, templates for me. And, you know, but yeah, just, just sat and, and learned, you know, I had a lot of time and it's great. And now I know, and, and, and that's awesome. But, um, I don't, I don't really love just being alone working on yeah. my kick out sound for two hours. It's not really my, you know, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not really like a micro mover, you know, moving mics here and there. I, you know, I just, uh, it's great to have, but it's not, yeah. it's not my, my, uh, my music passion. It's also hard when you're doing it yourself because, you know, the, the, the logistics of being behind a drum kit, uh, I'm not sure about that kick, uh, get, hit and record, trying it, listening back. Uh, I'm not sure. Stop and record, move the microphone, come back, hit and try. It's like, it's a process, you know? So I, I get it, man. Well, what I do, the, I set it up, or my room is set up, so where I really don't have to get up a lot. Uh-huh. I have my interfaces right by me, and I have a, I have like an aux screen. I don't know if you could see, but it's basically drums are here. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can then, see drums, and yeah. Then, and then here... I have my other screen. Okay, I see. Yeah. You know? So I basically edit or and record from here, and then I come over here, and this is my like oh, editing. Cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, it's like everything's kind of right there, and I don't have to move around a whole bunch to fiddle with things. But um, it's it's been it's been great to have. And, and, you know, another thing like when musical directors send you samples, you know, for an SPD or they send you stems to go over things, you know, learning pro tools. Now I know how to chop things up and export things properly. And 
I don't have to rely on someone else to do that anymore, yeah. which is huge. And, um, you know, small things like that have been, a um, are, are a big help. So I'm more valuable than I think learning how to record drums specifically. It's the things that come with the studio that are good skills to have. I don't often talk to people about this, but I figured you'd be a good candidate. Um, I want to talk about endorsements. I see you with several rather large companies, Gretsch, Pasty, Remo, um, a whole bunch. For listeners interested, could you potentially talk me through how you personally build relationships with the people at these companies, the A&R people? And, you know, can you tell us why endorsements aren't a give me, give me, give me free stuff type deal that a lot of people seem to believe they are? Um, well, yeah, and endorsements, um, I used to care a lot more, and I think people care too much. Um, you know, endorsements are great for specific things, um, and but the relationships are built just by they should just be built by like any other relationship you have naturally slowly. It doesn't have to be like, you know, an email and then all of a sudden you're, you're an endorser and, and you get stuff. It's just, you know, they're all the people I deal with and all these companies are friends of mine that I've just known. Some people I've gotten introduced to through this person or this person, but it's all just has come from being friends first and playing the gear for years, for years. I mean, I, I've been playing Gretsch forever, um, for 20 years. Mm. Um, so all, and I've never played any other head besides Remo. I've always played, my dad played Vic Firth. I've always played Vic Firth. Um, you know, I'm with Peisty now, and I was with Zildjian forever. And my dad played Zildjian. It's just, these are companies that I've grown up with. Um, so it's not like I'm phoning it in with these relationships. You know, these are like, actual you know i play these instruments hmm. um i would say i think people don't know what an endorsement is for really um you know endorsements really come in handy when you know you're playing in some place a and you, i need a gretsch kit um i can't bring my own gretsch kit and you know gretsch can supply a drum set in North Carolina tomorrow and depending on your endorsement level can take care of the fee, which could cost an artist, you know, 400 bucks for the, for the day. And you just, and, and the artist will just pay the cartage fee. I mean, that's when endorsements really help or they can supply symbols or, or drums for you for a tour. Or when you're going overseas, they can supply symbols in Albania or wherever, you know, if they have connections there. Um, so when you're traveling a lot, endorsements really help. But, you know, I, uh, one mistake I see people do is to just reach out to all the companies before they have a gig, Yeah. Uh, which I'm guilty of, too. Um, but sometimes that can kind of ruin your shot. Um, I would my advice to people would just be to be patient and just wait until you're you you have stuff coming up like you know t something with tv or a big tour um where you have something to talk about and offer them um you know i remember reaching out to 
companies when I was like, when I had a church gig, you know, and thinking that I was worthy of, you know, having endorsements, very bold move, I must say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's no rush and you have a better chance of getting, you can get an endorsement by not doing a lot of stuff musically, but it might be a lower endorsement. So it's just better to wait, be friends first, create a relationship. And then when it's time and you already have a friendship with these people, by the time you have an endorsement, you might be on a higher, you might have a higher endorsement in that tier just because you waited and you were patient and you created the relationship first. Yeah. Um, It's a long winded answer. Sorry. No, it's great. What I've seen over the years and I'm stereotyping I think a lot of players, and I'm not just talking about drummers here, um, but drummers definitely seem to go on this endorsement train. And and a few of them seem to think, at least guys that I've met, that if they suddenly get all these endorsements in place, they're going to get a good gig. And it's like, that's not how it works, dude. Like, I I just don't understand why some people have that in their head. Hey, if if I become a Zildjian guy. I'll, I'll get this gig. And you're like, Zildjian's not going to get you a gig, bro. Like, it's not how it works. It certainly looks good on your Instagram, but no one cares, really. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same theory of, uh, you know, ooh, I need this this compressor because this song needs that, you know, or I need this microphone because this vocal needs that. It's never the case. Gear never yeah. makes the song great, ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, if the song's great, the song's great. If you're great, you're great. You don't need a symbol endorsement to make yourself better. I mean, it yeah. doesn't, none of that stuff matters yeah. at all. So um, I would just be patient and let it happen and only reach out when um, you know, use your first opportunity to reach out when you're really doing something cool to, to give yourself the best chance of getting in the door. Yeah. Good advice, man. Yeah. I know we've jumped a little bit back and forth here. Um, I just want to ask one more question about the touring vocation, the touring side, the, the higher profile side of, of touring. Have you got any advice that might help guys who are working locally within their scenes or hoping to try and get into that line? Just any tips that they could potentially do or steps that they could potentially take that might eventually lead them there? Many things. Um, one, where is your local scene? You know, if your local scene is somewhere other than a major music city, before any of this advice makes any sort of sense, you have to move to a place where those gigs are happening. So LA, number one, I wish it wasn't, but it's just a fact, you know, the music, the pop scene is here. Nashville, Chicago, not really. New York, sort of, I'd say LA or Nashville and New York, top Mm. three. Um, And if you are in one of those cities and you're trying to get on a bigger touring tier with bigger artists, the only thing that you have to do is network and hang with the people that are already doing those gigs. That's it. And uh, statistically, the more people you know, the more work you'll get. So it's, I think people really overcomplicate it, but I think it's just having a lot of friends and not being friends with someone for a purpose, just being a cool dude that people want to hang out with. Because mm-hmm. remember, you're on a bus 
with sometimes 10 other people and you want to be like waking up and being like cool with everyone immediately right away, not being weird and just being a cool person that people want to bring out on tour. Um, and to get there, just hanging with people that are already doing those kind of gigs. That's your ticket. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, it's just not very complicated. Just surrounding yourself with people that are already doing it. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll be fine. And it just takes time. It takes time to build relationships, you know, yeah. or to a point where, you know, we just met, but, you know, to a point where like either one of us would feel comfortable calling each other to sub on a big stage. Yeah. You know, it would take a while for us to feel comfortable really trusting each other to do that. So just being here and being consistent and, and staying in touch with people. And that's, that's really it. Yeah. That's just a simple, but truthful answer. And to dig a little bit deeper for, for people who are more introverted, who maybe don't like to network, you know, I always tell people to go to gigs, like just go to gigs. If you like the band, say good job to the band, that kind of stuff, right? Like try and network. But I think, and I've had this discussion before, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people who've grown up different to how I grew up. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to include you in this, but I didn't grow up with a phone in my hand. Phones came later. So you were used to talking to people, you know, like if you were in a room of people and they were all standing around, you could break the ice with a stupid joke or whatever it may be, right? Now, a lot of people grow up with phones in their hands. And so the moment they feel slightly insecure or, or weird, quickly put the phone in your hand, right? So like you, it's almost like a, like a safety blanket. So for people who aren't comfortable kind of putting themselves in situations where maybe they just want to talk to, hey, they saw you drum, hey, Neil, good job, bro. Instead, they kind of like, they want to sit, but they just don't know how. You got any tips for guys like that? Get over it. <laughs> I like it. I like Get it. over it. You have to, like, you know, this is a, a, a industry where there is a lot of competition. There are a lot of drummers. And it, it, most drummers here, I mean, we could all do the same gigs, you know, this isn't rocket science, you know, you're playing drums, you're keeping time, you're, you're learning songs. A lot of people can do the same gigs and there's a lot of competition. So you just have to be, you got to get yourself out there and, you know, sitting in your practice room for eight hours a day is not going to do anything for you. Yeah. If you're trying to get gigs, none of that stuff matters. No one cares about your licks. No one cares. It's just people need to know who you are and no one's going to know who you are by sitting and practicing all day. Yeah. If you're at a certain age where you're trying to get gigs, of course, when you're like in school and you're, you're younger, that's what you should be doing. You should be shedding yeah. and like learning everything, which you did and what I did. Um, but if you're complaining that you don't have a lot of gigs and you don't have, you know, if your finances are running low and you're, you know, getting down because you're not touring, but you're not going out and no one's hitting you up to hang out. I mean, that's a problem. And you have to go out and, and meet people and surround yourself with people that are doing those gigs. So if you have social anxiety, then start with small groups, you know, or, you know, message people on Instagram 
use your phone to your advantage, message people to go out for coffee or can I buy you a beer? Can I buy you lunch or, you know, and then do a one-on-one thing. Mm. That's easier for you to like not be in a situation where there's a million people. Uh, You know, it's, it's intimidating and overwhelming. So maybe you're better in one-on-one situations or go on a double date. You know, there are, there are a million ways. Um, But, you know, if you did that, you should be going out every day. And meeting people. I mean, it's just the only way. It's the only way I know. Yeah. Um, and and it works. Yeah. It works. Um, so yeah, I would try to get over that social anxiety. And I know it's hard and COVID definitely didn't help. Um, but you have to get out there and just shake hands. Yeah. Have to. Neil, what has been the hardest part about being a musician for you? Uh, the hardest part, um, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, how much time do we have? I mean, it's all hard as much as you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, uh, the hardest part is, uh, one of the hardest parts, not having a consistent income, you know, uh, a lot of times relay, uh, relying on your phone to ring, to get work. That's that's hard. Um, being away from your family, I have a wife here and a dog as well, and you know, uh, it's 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 hard to be away for a long time. That that's difficult. Um, sometimes not playing the music that you love, but having to put on a face happens all the time. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, staying in shape, that's hard. A million things. Um, yeah. But all that is. You know, it's in balance with, um, you know, being able to tour and play for a living. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's it's all a balance. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, overall, I think it's as hard as you want to make it. So, um, you know, this is all I want to do. And, um, you know, I, I, I try not to make it too hard for myself and try to re- remind myself that I'm, you know, playing circles for a living yeah yeah amazing yeah i have one last question for you okay good um this is the this is the one that sometimes people feel is a little bit loaded and i'm not trying to make it that way um i'm just again trying to for up-and-coming musicians potentially get different perspectives you know so um what do you feel has been the best piece of advice you've either received or something you've learned along the way in relation to your music career? Um, that's advice I've gotten. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know. These are hard questions. I, I'm, I'm sure as soon as we hang up, I'll, I'll think of a better answer. Um, I don't know. I mean, 
I think I, 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 instead of advice, I mean, I learn a lot from seeing what other people do and how they handle situations. Um, one thing I think it's just important to remember to step back and look, um, if you're ever getting grumpy or uh, frustrated that things aren't, this isn't perfect or this isn't perfect. It's not, um, you know, it's not your show. Your name is not on the billboard. Um, and you're not selling tickets. Um, so, uh, it's important to stay in your lane. Yeah. Um, and just play the drums or whatever you're playing. Your job is not to be best friends with everyone. Your job is not to, uh, be the shining star of the show. Your job is to play the songs and get paid and go to bed. Um, and I see a lot of people not doing that and not, uh, working out for them or just thinking that they're, you know, you don't need to be buddy, buddy with the artist all the time. Um, I think just best advice, um, staying in your lane and doing your job and not trying to, you know, do someone else's or, or, uh, you know, that makes sense. Perfect sense. It's actually, I love advice like that because without trying to sound patronizing, it's simple, but it's excellent because if people just did it, you know, I mean, come on, you've been in bands your whole life. It sounds like, you know, I've been in bands my whole life. I know enough guys who overcomplicate things and just make their lives hell or make people within that group kind of be like, oh man, this dude, <laughs> you know? And so like sometimes just knowing your role is a good thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and part B is, um, just, you want to be the person that people miss when they go out to dinner. That's great too. Yeah. You, you want to, you want to be the person that people just want around all the time. And if you can figure out how to be that person, you will work. Yeah. You just want to be the funny, cool dude or girl or whoever that just wants to, that people just want to be around and have, hanging sometimes and this is true if the person's not the best for the gig musically but they're just like they're available and they're just the best and the coolest person they will get that gig that's the truth yeah and it's all those hours in the practice room if you're don't have the best personality or you're very negative or you just don't bring a great vibe i would try to fix that because uh, the person that people want around will always get that opportunity. Great advice, man. Yeah. All right. Neil Daniels, thank you so much for joining me on the Musicians Mentor Podcast. This was great. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time. And uh, I hope to see you out on the road sometime, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Peace. See ya. All righty. There we have it. Another episode done and dusted. I know I say it in every outro, but please, ladies and gentlemen, leave us a rating or review. Um, It really helps. I'd like to say thank you to Neil for his time. Please check him out at neildaniels.com. Also, make sure you check out his studio at Whitefish Studios. Um, Don't forget, we're on TikTok now. You can follow us at at MusiciansMentor. It's a new venture. We're trying to put little video clips up of these um, interviews. We'll see what happens. But for now, that's it. I will see you in a couple weeks.
Peace.